Many of you know, of course, we're, we're doing a series within a series. Um, Everyday Discipleship is the big series. The Spirit and the Church is the series within the series that we're doing now. And we're, we're coming up to the conclusion of that series. And today, we're looking here at this 14th chapter. So we're going to pretty much look at the entire chapter today. Uh, there's a few verses that I'm going to reserve for next time, but... As we look at these um, verses here in this chapter today, this is the place where Paul now gives very practical instruction about how these things work themselves out uh, in the body. So in the 12th chapter, he, he talked to us about the various uh, manifestations of the Spirit, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, prophecy, healing, and tongues, and interpretation, and miracles, and, and all of those things. And, and then, of course, he, from there, he talked about the fact that we are one body. And just as there are many members to one body, so it is with the body of Christ. But each member is important to the overall function. So he emphasized that. And then at the end of that uh, chapter, he told us to, to eagerly desire the gifts, the, the greater gifts. And then he goes on to say, but I, I want to show you the most excellent way. And, of course, that was that great chapter on love that we looked at last time. So reminding us that the, uh, the motivation and the environment for all that we do with the spiritual gifts is to be love. And so now we come to the very practical instruction here in chapter 14. So Paul wants these Corinthian believers to be experiencing all the Holy Spirit has for them, both for their own edification as the collective people of God and for the sake of the outside world that they might know that the church is a colony of life in a country of death. So the gifts of the Spirit... They, they function primarily internally to build up the body, but that is partially so that the body can reflect the kingdom to the world and people in the world can be drawn into the kingdom. And so that's why Paul is giving these detailed instruction. He wants to make sure that the Corinthians and all the successive generations of Christians of which we are a part, he wants to make sure that we get this right so that we ourselves can be built up like God intends and we in turn can then also have the impact on the outside world. So building up the body which is the main thing that he's talking about here, it comes through the presence, power, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul longs for them to understand is that these gifts freely given to all by the Spirit are not so much for one's personal edification, but rather to edify others. Now, perhaps you remember the quote, uh, Char shared a couple of weeks ago on how the early Christians chose the word liturgy to describe or to define their gatherings over against the pagans who used the word orgy to define their gatherings. Now, w when we think of orgy today, we, it, it, it's almost always with very negative connotations, and, and oftentimes it's, it's connected to uh, sexuality and, and so forth. But the, but the original word did not really necessarily mean that. It wasn't necessarily used that way, but it was used by the pagans to describe their worship. And so, as Char pointed out to us, uh, Orgy described a public event that produced a private usually a static experience. The emphasis was always squarely on the emotional experience of the individual. 
That's what the, that's what the pagan worship services were uh, about. It was all very much about the individual self. So in contrast to that liturgy was something accomplished by a community for the community. And a couple of examples that were given, a town bridge, for instance, or a village wall, or um, a a village well, or a city wall. Uh, It was something that was built by the people and for the people. Paul expresses this idea of liturgy here in verse 12. He says, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Try to excel in those that build up the church. So that, that's, that's what the gifts are for. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we work our way through now. So let's look at... Um, the verses that we read together, verses one through five. And three things I want us to see here. Number one, Paul says, uh, tongues, so he's talking here primarily about two gifts. He's talking about tongues and he's talking about prophecy. And he says, which we're gonna see would be a shock to them and it would go against what they were thinking. He says, tongues are inferior to prophecy. Because, for this reason, because they only bless the individual. So the Corinthians apparently had taken tongues and elevated it to the highest place among the gifts. And they were excessive in their use of tongues. And so right from the beginning, Paul wants them to understand that they have got the order wrong. And so he tells them. He says that anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. And then verse 4, anyone who speaks in tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So this is the big issue. Paul says these gifts are for the edification of the church. It's not just so that the individual can um, experience some ecstatic type of a thing. No, these gifts are very practical, and they're for the building up of the church. Now, he says prophecy is greater than tongues for the very reason that prophecy edifies the church. Now, Paul is not down on tongues. There there are some today who misinterpret Paul because they're down on tongues. They want everybody to think that Paul was down on tongues. Paul was not down on tongues at all. He was just simply wanting them to understand the function of the different gifts. So then he tells us about prophecy. He said, this, is, this is why uh, he says, um, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Why does he say especially prophecy? Well, he answers it in verse three. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So that's what prophesying does. It it speaks to a person to strengthen them and to encourage them and to comfort them if need be. Now, I love this definition of prophecy. It's so, it's, it's beautiful and it's really helpful because I have found in my own experience, I have found that people have come along uh, time and again who come with a prophetic word, they say. I've had this happen over the years. People walk into the church and say, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Thus says the Lord, cursed be this place. It's going to burn to the ground. And then they march out. That's not prophecy. That that is not prophecy at all. Whether it's a, a pronouncement of judgment on a congregation collectively, you know, I get 
just being reminded of all the letters I get where people are telling me that, you know, they're prophesying to me that God is judging me and so forth. So what do I do with those? I just wad them up, throw them in the bin. It's like, no, those aren't prophecies because right here we're told what prophecy does. Prophecy strengthens you. Prophecy encourages you. Prophecy comforts. And so Paul says, desire that you may prophesy because this is what we want. We want to be strengthened. Or literally the word is built up. Edify is a, is a word that we sometimes use to translate this Greek word. But God's desire for us is that we're built up in our faith, that we're encouraged in our faith, that we're comforted or consoled where we might need it. And so Paul says, desire that you might prophesy, desire that you might have that gift that will do that for God's people. Now, in verses 6 through 20, Paul puts tongues in perspective. And so let's read what he says. He says, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying. You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with my spirit but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. And then look at verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So, Paul just made it clear. I'm, I'm, this is not put down on tongues. I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul is so practical. And you gotta just sort of imagine the situation. Just think of if all of us here this morning, here we all are, and then let's just say, you know, 10 people just started speaking in tongues. Well, we would all wonder what in the world is going on. What are they saying? Now, they might be having an incredible spiritual experience. Hands raised up speaking out to the Lord. I'm so blessed. Too bad the rest of you can't get in on this, but man, this is amazing. Take my word for it. That's, that's what Paul's describing. That's what's happening in Corinth. And so as Paul's giving these instructions, like I said, he's not, he's not putting down tongues. He's just saying, listen, 
when we gather collectively, the objective is mutual edification. The objective is that we build one another up. And if we're speaking in languages that nobody understands, then there is no building up that's taking place. So I speak in tongues more than all of you, he says. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words. Now, back in... um, I want to just back up for a second here Um, because back in verse 5, yes, uh, Paul says this. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have, have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless... So here's where Paul is showing why prophecy is greater. He he refers to it as greater. But when you think about it, okay, these are all the gifts of the Spirit. So why would one be greater than the other? Well, very practically, like he's saying, the one's greater than the other because everyone can be edified from it. So he says that tongues potentially has a greatness as well if someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So just understand that. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless. Now, I say that because, again, there are people who, um, you know, with when it comes to these gifts and especially tongues, you have the two extremes. You have the, the, the people who abuse it and then you have the people who um, oppose it. And the people who oppose it will dismiss it and say, you know, it's not anything we should be engaged in. And they will, they will oftentimes downplay it. I mean, some leading evangelical voices have even said that anyone speaking in tongues today is under the influence of the devil not the Spirit of God. So to me, that it's, it's amazing because it generally is coming from people who know the Bible pretty well and actually teach it, but what they're doing is they're letting their personal experience and emotion interpret the Scripture rather than let the Scripture interpret the Scripture. So again, Paul is not putting down tongues. He says that tongues are equally as great as prophecy if there is an interpretation. Because the reason they're inferior is because no one is edified because no one understands. So here he's putting these things in perspective. Now, tongues in perspective. Tongues are good only if there's an interpretation. Without an interpreter in the assembly... Paul says, only speak to yourself and to God. So tongues without an interpretation are confusing and can become a hindrance rather than a help toward blessing. Now, going back to trying to understand what was happening at the time, it seems that what was going on, and I've already alluded to it, but it seems that they are insisting that not only is tongues the the greater of the gifts, but they seem to be insisting that tongues is the great sign that God is with us. So it seems like in the mind of the Corinthians, their thinking was when we get together, we should all just speak in tongues and that will show everybody that God is with us. Now, tongues in their truest sense, are supernatural. When you're speaking in a tongue, you're speaking in a language that you don't know. You're speaking in a language that God gives you at that time. So there is something supernatural about it. And so the Corinthians are 
then drawing the conclusion seemingly that tongues is the great sign gift. So since it's the sign that God's presence is with us, this is the thing that we should do when we gather together. Now, Paul says to them here, he says that that understanding is both childish and unscriptural. Verse 20, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So he's, as you can see, he's rebuking them for this thinking. And he's already walked them through. And, you know, he wants them to use their reason. He wants them to use their understanding. He wants them to draw the obvious conclusion. Oh, yes, if we're speaking in a language nobody understands, then obviously no one else is being edified. So he's saying, you know, get this. Don't, don't be childish. But then he goes on and he says something interesting. He says, in the law, it is written. So here Paul goes back to the Old Testament to prove his point. In the law, it is written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me. So this is a quote from Isaiah 28. And I'll tell you, it's, you know, this, this is Paul's genius as a, a Bible uh, scholar, and yet it's also simultaneously the anointing of the Spirit. But how Paul pulled this verse out of the Old Testament is pretty amazing in and of itself. But he sees in this a parallel. And so going back to the passage in Isaiah that refers to people speaking, uh, it's, a, it's a judgment that they're speaking, being spoken to by people of other languages. And so Paul goes on, and then he says this, and let me read it, and then I want to come back and explain it. So he says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, these verses that I just read, particularly 22, um, well, well the, the whole section there, uh, these are, in my opinion, the most difficult verses in the Bible to understand. In the whole Bible, some challenging statements in the Bible, this is the most challenging. Because Paul, it, it seems like Paul is saying one thing here, and then as he moves on, it seems like he says the exact opposite of what he previously said. And so it has been uh, a dilemma for Bible teachers to try to really understand what in the world is the apostle saying. Now, like I said, they seem to have thought that the more tongues there were spoken among them, the more likely the presence of God was to be in their midst. But as we see, Paul says everyone, if everyone is speaking in tongues and an outsider comes in among you, they are going to think you're out of your minds rather than in the presence of God. So the, it seems like, and notice I'm saying it seems like because it, it is challenging. It seems like Paul is saying if, to them, if you're going to think of tongues as a sign, because that, that seems like what they were doing. 
then know it is a sign for unbelievers. And since it is a sign to unbelievers, you shouldn't use it as a sign among believers. So they are apparently thinking that it's a sign for believers that the more tongues that are going on, the more evidence of God's presence among us in the believers' meeting. But Paul is saying to them, he's saying the sign is not to believers, it is to unbelievers. Tongues is a sign to believers or to to unbelievers. Now, he says prophecy, however, is for believers to manifest God's presence in our midst. So if an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in and hears you speaking in words they can understand, they can't understand tongues, but they can understand prophecy, they come in hearing you speak in words that they can understand, they will be convicted by the prophetic word and confess that God is among you. So, again, very complicated way that Paul is wording it. This is one of those places where you wish you could just say, Paul, could you explain that? Could, could you say that again? <laughs> Wait, I, I didn't quite get it. And there have been different attempts by various uh, scholars to, to try to sort out what Paul is saying here. One scholar at one point suggested that verse 22 should not be um, understood as, as statements, but as rhetorical questions. Are tongues then a sign? Uh, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Is prophecy, therefore, not for unbelievers, but for believers? So all of this to say, it, it is a complicated passage. But again, in the context, it seems that Paul is, he's, he's clearly pushing back against this idea of um, multiple persons speaking in tongues without an interpreter and thinking that this is the way people are going to see God in our midst. Paul says, no. They're going to think you're crazy. The way they're going to see God in your midst is through prophecy, through people speaking those words of uh, edification and encouragement and comfort. And as they come into your midst, they will hear those words in intelligible speech, and they will be convicted by those. They will be spoken to by those, and they will then themselves respond. So that seems to be what is happening here. Now, in verse 26, Paul says this, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Now, what Paul is saying here is that when you come to the gathering, come to give, not only to get. And how often do we think about that? When we are coming to the gathering of God's people, how often are we thinking about giving? Are we not more often thinking about receiving? But Paul wants us to understand, no, when we come together, we're to come with something to give as well as something to receive. Yes, we want to receive. 
And that's perfectly fine. But it's not just about us receiving. You know, this is, when, when you think about this and you think about how often people leave a church, and oftentimes they say, well, I don't get anything out of it. Well, here's the question. Did you ever give anything back to it? See, it's not, it's not primarily to get something out of it, although that's part of it. Of course, you, you, know, you want to be built up, and, and, and God does intend that. But it's not just about that. It is about a mutual giving and receiving. So coming to give, not only to get, and then he mentions these things. Some come with a hymn. Some with a word of instruction. Some with a revelation. Some with a tongue. Some with an interpretation. So when we prepare to come to gather with God's people, we should be seeking the Lord on what we might give. Maybe it's a hymn. Maybe it's an instruction. Maybe it's a revelation. Maybe it's something God's shown you. Maybe it is a tongue. Or maybe it's an interpretation for a tongue. This is something that needs to just work its way through the body. And I think what Paul is describing here, now, these churches back at this time were generally smaller congregations. Many times they met in homes. Sometimes they met in other locations. But they, they, were, they were smaller congregations. And so you can imagine in a smaller setting that these kinds of things are more manageable and, and, and happen more easily. The larger the environment, the more challenging and the more difficult it might become. But if we understand that these things do not have to happen on an official level, in the sense that these things have to happen from a platform, but these things actually can and should happen just in our midst as we gather together, then it makes it more realistic. So here you are, you come this morning to church. God's really put something on your heart. You're not going to come up here to the pulpit and share it with everybody, but... You're going to share it with somebody. And so you're here just like, Lord, who is this for? And then as you connect with brothers and sisters, as you spend time, as you see one another, as you talk a little bit and so forth, then it's like, oh, man, I think this word is for you. So you see, it, it happens like that. So um, I was at a conference a couple days ago. And I was doing a, a, a seminar, and the person before me was doing a, a seminar that was similar. It was funny because we know each other. Um, we knew we were both speaking at the same conference, but neither one of us had any idea what the other was speaking about, nor did we know that we were going to speak back to back. And he was speaking about gifts of the Spirit and things like that, the moving of the Spirit and so forth. And when I got up to speak, I said, you know, it's interesting that even the order, even the arrangement here today is something the Spirit has done because neither one of us had had any conversation with each other. Neither one of us had any idea what the other was going to talk about. And yet I'm just going to pick up where he left off because my message just flows from what he said. And it's like you, you see the hand of the Lord on that. Now, that person told a story. That, that really, I think, illustrates what I'm talking about here today. He was telling the story about this young man who uh, came to church and was saved and had a radical transformation in his life 
and then um, brought his parents to the church. And his father, both of, both of the parents were very much unchurched, very sort of anti-religious, but the father seemed to really warm up to things quickly. The mother was very, very skeptical and just not really into this at all. But the son, they, the one thing was they could not deny the transformation in the son's life. And so they had to go and just see, okay, what's he into? How, how has this happened? So they go and, uh, you know, they're there at the service. And like I said, the father kind of warms up real quickly. The, the mother is super skeptical. She's kind of rude. She just doesn't, she doesn't want to have anything to do with this. And she even says, well, I, I don't believe any of this stuff, but, you know, for my son's sake, I, I, I'll come back again. But, like, don't expect me to believe any of this or get involved in it. And so he was saying that the following week when they showed up at church, he was just like, man, the pastor, he was saying, he saw her and he thought, oh, you know, how how is this going to go? And so he said, before the service started, he saw the woman standing there, the the, um, skeptical woman. And he said, then he saw another woman on the other side of the church who he knows has like a prophetic gift. And all of a sudden, he sees this woman get up and go toward the skeptical woman. And in his mind, he's like, oh, no. (laughs) This could be either really good or really bad. And he said, so these two ladies start talking. And he says, they don't stop. And they're like in the third row. So church service even starts. He's like, we got to get started. And they keep talking. So he just, okay, we're going to just go and and leave them. They're going to do whatever they're doing right there. But the next thing he knows, the woman is sobbing. And then by the end of the service, she's just fully embraced the Lord and everything that's happening there. So here's what happened. So this lady who has a prophetic gift, she's sitting there, and the Spirit speaks to her and says, go pray for that woman. She has um, chronic migraines. So this lady approaches her, says, "Um, hi, you know, welcome. Haven't met you before. Nice to see you. Um, This is going to sound really strange, but would you mind if I pray for you? And the skeptical woman, you know, is skeptical. But the lady's so nice, so she's like, well, you know, I guess guess you could. And then she said, and this is even going to sound stranger, but I feel like I'm supposed to pray about migraines. Do you have any issues with migraines? And the lady said, I've had a migraine every day for the past 10 years. She prayed for her, and she was healed on the spot. Never had another migraine. Became a Christian, joined the church. So when I heard that story the other day, I thought, that's going to fit perfectly with my message on Sunday morning. Because, listen, this is what we're talking about. And, you know, my prayer today in coming here to, to preach is, Lord, We want to learn about this stuff, obviously, and you want us to learn about it, and we need to be informed, and we need to know, you know, what's the proper and improper ways and all of that, but but this is not just for that, and God, God of course, knows it. I mean, I'm not telling him anything he doesn't know, and I'm not expressing anything to him that he doesn't desire for us, and what I am praying, what we are praying, and what we want to see God do is begin to move among us in ways where we take these gifts and we start to use them as the Spirit would lead us. But I think it starts with coming ready to give, looking for an opportunity to give. You know, something that I've done for decades now. You know, I go to a lot of conferences 
A lot, a lot of times conferences have hundreds of people at them. And I love them, they're great, but sometimes they're super stressful because you're like, there's hundreds of people here and you wanna talk to a lot of people, but you know, who do I talk to? Who, do I not, who don't I talk to? So here's what I've been doing for a long time now. Before I go to conference, I just say this, Lord, there are people there that you want me to connect with and you want to connect with me. So out of the hundreds of people here, put those moments together so I can connect with the people you want me to connect with. And I have found God is so faithful over all these years that I can, I can go to a conference and, and as I'm approaching the end of the conference, I just know there's one more person. I've, I've maybe connected with five people. I know, but there's one more person. I don't know who it is, but I just sense there's one more person the Lord wants me to connect with. And boom, sure enough, connects me. And then time to leave the conference, I feel like, you know what? I... I connected here with the people that God wanted me to connect with so I could encourage them and they could encourage me. And I'm sharing that because I think if we come to our gatherings like that, just saying, Lord, I'm coming, and and I'm coming, Lord, I need you today. I need you to speak to me. I need to be blessed. I need to be strengthened. I need to be encouraged. I need a prophetic word whether it's from the pulpit or wherever else, but Lord, I want to also give. That is, that's, I think, what we want to see. I think that's what God wants to see. Now, um, let's just go real quickly through the rest of the verses here, 27 through 33, then we're gonna jump down from, Uh, verse 33 to 39 and 40. So verse um, 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, now here here Paul is giving the very uh, practical um, instruction here on how how to do this in a a group. Uh, If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak. One at a time. So it's not to be, Uh, a chorus of tongues. It's to be one at a time. And someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So this is the rule. Now, all the craziness that goes on in charismatic and Pentecostal churches could be averted if they just simply read this verse and applied it. It doesn't stop you from speaking in tongues. It just puts it in an order that's appropriate. And notice that Paul says, if there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church. In other words, don't vocalize it. Don't vocalize it, but speak to yourself and to God. So there's a place to do that. Many times in a meeting, I have been next to somebody who I have heard under their breath speaking in tongues. That's what they're doing, what Paul said to do. If this is welling up in you, but there's no interpreter, just do it to yourself or do it with yourself there before God. Now, prophecy. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should Weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and be encouraged. Important statement in verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So you see, Paul is just, he's laying out a way for these things to function in an orderly fashion. So if someone's prophesying, one person at a time. People are listening, people are judging. Yep, that's from the Lord, that's from the Lord. And then if God has put something else on somebody else's heart, wait till this person's done and then share but then this, 
This statement in verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. In other words, a person is not going to be taken over by the spirit and do things that are out of their control. And when you see this in charismatic gatherings, you know that this is an abuse. This isn't the way it's supposed to be done. Somebody goes off in some ecstatic thing. Somebody goes off in a tongue. Somebody goes off in a prophecy. Five people are doing it all at once. And then you, you say, hey, you know, that, that's not right. I couldn't help it. The Spirit took hold of me. It was the Spirit who did it. No, it wasn't the Spirit who did it. Because here it tells us that the Spirit doesn't do that. The Spirit is subject to the prophets. In other words, you have control. Because otherwise it would be mass confusion. So God is not a God of disorder. He's not a God of chaos. He's not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. So in other words, these things are going to, there's going to be an air of peace as these things are happening. It's not going to be weird, freaky weird, scary, I don't ever want to go back there again type of thing. If it is that, then it's not the Spirit of God. When I was a kid, there was a Pentecostal church on the corner of the street that I lived on. And once in a while, my friends and I, we were really young, you know, probably 9, 10 or something like that. Uh, Once in a while, we would go in that church And it was an absolute freak show. It was scary. I mean, we ran out of that place. They were doing all the kinds of stuff that Paul is talking about here. And, you know, that did not make me want to go to church. It made me want to stay away from that place right there. So when the Spirit of God is moving, remember the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. When the Spirit of God is moving... There's peace. And so everything is to be done. Look in verse 39. (coughs) Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So a few closing questions. Where should we expect to see these things happening? Well, as I said, the context for Paul are these house churches, these, these relatively smaller gatherings. Um, and so in our community groups and other small groups, we should expect and long to see things happening in those kinds of environments. And also here in our gatherings or wherever we gather together as the Lord's people, the different contexts will bring different manifestations of these gifts. So in other words, it's going to work a little bit differently depending on the context that we're in. So if we're in a small group, it's going to manifest itself in one way, very very much, I think, like Paul says here. Uh, If there's tongues, make sure there's an interpreter. If there's prophecy, two or three at the most. Let others judge, each in order. So in a smaller environment, that can easily be very controlled. But in a larger environment, you know, if I said this morning, okay, we're going to all just right now, let's just wait on the Lord, let's wait for a prophecy, maybe a tongue and an interpretation, Um, no matter how sincere we would be, it would be challenging and difficult in a place like this. Because say somebody back there has a prophetic word and they stand up to share it and you guys over there are like, what, what, are, I, what are they saying? I don't know what's going on. So it practically cannot be done in this kind of an environment. But it can be done in the way that I shared earlier about the woman and the other woman. And so as we interact with each other before church, as we interact with each other after church, that's why we encourage you, don't just bolt out the door, jump in your car, and go home. Stick around and see what the Lord will do. 
Stay around in the room and see what God will do. And so, final word. Eagerly desire the best gifts. That's Paul's word. Eagerly desire. Remember love is the only legitimate motivation and atmosphere of the gifts. For those of you that know you have these gifts, but maybe you have not exercised them, stir up the gift that is in you. Stir up that gift. Fan it to full flame. Those are Paul's words to Timothy. Stir up the gift that is in you. And then, for those that maybe aren't certain, ask God to impart or reveal the gifts he's given to you, and then step out and use them. Step out and use them. Now, just a word of encouragement. This can initially be a little bit intimidating because you think, well, gosh, what if I'm wrong or what if, I, what if I'm perceived to be weird or, or something like that? Um, but, you, you know, we just, we just have to press through that. We have to just say, okay, you know, Lord, I, I'm just going to do this because I think you want me to. And you will be amazed at what you will find in response to that. I mean, you might be sweating, like, oh, gosh. Like, I can't say this. It's just going to seem so weird. And then finally, you muster up the courage and you say, well, I'm just going to say this. I think the Lord maybe wants to. And then you say something, and the person's like, oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Like, that is the exact word I needed to hear from the Lord. That's what happens. And so... Step out and use the gifts. Father, we pray, Lord, as we think about these things, as we talk about them, as we learn about them, Lord, we want to experience them. And we know that you want us to experience them. And so we ask you by your spirit, Lord, to move on our hearts and to free us up and to baptize us afresh in the spirit. And Lord, I pray that we would learn as a congregation, that we would learn to flow freely in the Spirit, whether it's our gatherings on Sundays or whatever other day of the week we're here, or whether it's at our community group or in our uh, Joyful Life women's group or the men's fellowship, whatever, Lord, we know that these are real gifts that you have given by the Spirit, so your body can be built up. And so, Lord, do that work in us, we pray. Do it, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name.